In today's world, technology is everywhere. From the entertainment we consume, to the content we create, and the data that we distribute. Here at The Edge, we explore how the discoveries of today and the innovations of tomorrow shape and evolve the way we go about our everyday lives. Let's dream a world where your imagination is your only limitation. Let's open the curtain, peer into the future, and see what's waiting for us. Are you ready? Welcome, everyone, to The Edge, a TMG Core production. I'm Drew Knoll. And I'm Brad Furnish. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. Jeff Deku. Uh, Jeff's the founder of the Autonomy Institute, president, CEO of Atrius Industries, Inc. And prior to the Autonomy Institute, Jeff was the founder, CEO of Hangar Technologies, Inc., eCustomers, Inc., Smart Technologies, Inc., and SmartNap. Uh, Jeff has raised over $100 million for venture and business operations. With the unprecedented advancement in autonomous system, Atrius was founded to leverage these new innovations to affect massive change across industry. Uh, so, Jeff, we uh, we appreciate you being here and spending the time with us. Well, I appreciate the time. I, I look forward to the discussion and um, go from there. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Jeff, one of the things that we ask all of our guests on the show uh, as a bit of an icebreaker is if you could briefly describe an unexpected moment in, in your career, whether that uh, be a positive unexpected moment or, uh, you know, something more what we would consider a character building moment. Uh, it doesn't have to be a real long thing, just a little brief nugget to, you know, kind of kick off the conversation and, and give our, our listeners a little bit of uh, insight into to your career. Well, actually, there's there's a lot. So um, <laughs> to, to pick one, um, I, I'd say the the probably the biggest um, one that's kind of affected me in the last ten years is the reality that um, my entire career has always been in enterprise software, and now as the world is transitioning, um, I am pretty much now becoming very interested and very directly involved with uh, hardware and uh, physical systems. So. I think that was a surprise that, you know, if I went back 15 years ago, would not think that I'd be involved with. But uh, um, I think it's one that, you know, many industries are starting to experience now that uh, software is extremely valuable, but um, uh, sometimes you have to kind of change what you're pursuing to, to solve big problems. Yeah, no, that I, I think, yeah, you're spot on in terms of how the industry is, there's an evolution going on on both sides, right? And, and uh, you know, the importance of both and, and the flexibility. And, and the, I really think there's a symbiotic change that's going on in the in the industry, right? To where those two things, um, they work together to, to create the advantages that we need to kind of get where we need to be from a from a technology and just a, a, a life sustainability standpoint, right? Hardware is a, a much more challenging beast. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd like to, you know, for, for those of our listeners that, that aren't familiar with the Autonomy, uh, Autonomy Institute, um, you know, if you could just give us an overview of, of what the Autonomy Institute is, what you guys are doing, what the impetus for the founding of that, that uh, organization yeah. was, that'd be great. Um, yeah, it was a long journey, but I think the way it's best summarized um, um, from many of the, the government leads that have been involved is the Semitech for Autonomy. So a lot of people um, may not be familiar with uh, Semitech and MCC, uh, but back in the 80s, um, we were um, in the United States, there was a, a strong realization that um, microelectronics, we were falling behind on several fronts to other countries and a collaboration between government, academia and industry had to take on that challenge. And that was to go after um, semiconductor you know, technology. Um, when we were viewing the, the, the technical and um, really legislative challenges of autonomy, um, it was understood that it was 10 times, if not 100 times the challenge and um, would require an entity to be stood up that would really focus on those efforts and really brought together government, academia, and industry um, to take those challenges on and focus on one core theme, which is a path to commerce. Um, so it's, it's not about creating new standards. It's not about, you know, doing some really you know, nice tests. It's about how can we accelerate the path to commerce for these enabling technologies and bring autonomous or semi-autonomous systems um, into our cities and into our, our states. So, um, it's a, it's a nonprofit organization, but it is going to be focused on heavy um, investments into creating and developing um, labs and corridors 
to allow this this new infrastructure uh, to, to be deployed. Gotcha. Yeah, and I know you guys are down in, in Austin. Uh, yep. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, and, and from what I've read and, and from some of our you know previous discussions, it, it seems like Austin is is a bit of a a hotbed or a, a really fertile ground for for some of that work. So, c- could you describe a little bit about what some of the initiatives or work that, that you guys, whether it's the autonomous, uh, the autonomy institute or or Atrius, what are you guys? You know, you mentioned commercializing or uh, get, getting autonomy to to commerce. What are some of those things specifically? If you can talk about those that that you guys are working on from a project standpoint. Yeah, I, I think I think it really goes to that that. You know, one of the core themes I wanted to kind of talk about, which is Texas is, is very well situated to kind of lead um, the, the nation on the adoption of many of these technologies. And that comes not down to just Austin, like in up in Dallas, um, there's over 20 different uh, autonomous mobility or autonomous um, system, um, you know, uh, POCs or pilots already um, underway. Um, down here in Austin, um, we spend a tremendous amount of time with the University of Texas um, that is pretty much at the forefront of a lot of the research and a lot of the, the, the testing that's gone into the, these systems on robotics. Um, and our first um, deployment will be at um, a campus called uh, JJ Pickle Research, um, which is a uh, almost a 500-acre campus in uh, North Austin. That that is ideally suited to start testing small um, autonomous systems within a, a close to urban environment. Um, but I'd say that the talent pool from um, you know you, you know Austin and UT um, have had a lot going for it. But also industry, you have you know exceptional players that have built up enterprises over the last thirty years here in Austin and spun off many thought leaders when it comes to um, systems, the advanced systems, um, and especially software that has to be involved with how these technologies become deployable and, and something that can actually start touching our personal lives on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Um, I, I, and this is a question and I, and I it, it may sound uh, it may come off as a bit of an indictment, and that's not the intent. Um, <laughs> but I think some people, and, and Brad and I talk about this a lot, just personally, and then it, it always seems to come up on on our podcast recordings of change is hard for people, right? We yep. we have as as humans, we have a very we have a a hard coded DNA trend to staying the same, right? What we're comfortable with, what we know. 100%. Um, and, and there's a lot of good reasons for that, um, but at the same time, yeah, as we know, you know, in in the technology space, in order for us to evolve and to improve, that comes through change. Um, yeah. and, and I think autonomy and, and autonomous activity and autonomous technology is something that a lot of people are scared of. Um, you know, and and I would posit that a lot of that fear is based out of just a lack of knowledge, right? Um, but I'm curious if you could speak to, you know, from an education standpoint or, or just a, an overall life standpoint, what are the benefits that, you know, people can experience as a result of an incorporation or development of autonomous technology? Because I think that really helps, you know, people change when they, when they see a benefit to the change, right? Um, so if, if you could speak a little bit to that, like what, what, why would we want to incorporate autonomous technology into a more everyday life scale? I, it's a great question, number one. It's, it's one that's been um, thought-provoking for over a decade because this has been under discussion. I'd say the a thought leader that I um, have been highly, you know, I guess, collaborative and, and understanding of, it comes from a John Hagel, um, which is uh, one of the thought leaders at, at Deloitte. Um, if you really look at where autonomy will first break into society, um, it's going to be the things that everybody's going to want to see it fill the role. It's not, it's not about replacing jobs that already exist. It's, it's in um, most purposes or most cases, the early adoption are going to be jobs that don't exist today and activities that don't exist. Um, so a lot of people say, oh, you know, Uber is going to replace the driver in cars. Um, yes, but that's that's not where autonomy is going to break in and start to impact. Um, and I think 
it's the analogy you could use is if you went back 20 years ago um, and you asked everybody what what was going to be the most deployed autonomous robot in our society today and um, yeah I, I bet you less than five percent of people would have said it would have been the, the Roomba vacuum um, and yet the Roomba vacuum as long as as well as other you know type of small bots like that have actually started to be embraced um, by by almost every single homeowner. I mean, there's, there's the, the number of sales um, is, is exceptional and people see it as a complimentary use case, not stealing a job from an individual in their home. Um, but autonomy in general, um, the, the theme that Hegel talks about is it's gonna give us back our humanity because where autonomous systems are really good at is doing the duplicative you know, efforts, the things that have to be repeated time and time again that um, very few people, I, I enjoy things like that at times, you know, it's kind of you know, break away and be meditative in state, but many of those, those tasks can be scaled with these robotics and remove the, the deadening jobs that um, very few people really want to do. And at the same time, have an explosion um, or a renaissance of all kinds of new jobs, um, you, know, you know, computer science and hardware and technicians and cybersecurity, um, RF design, automotive, you know, engineers. It, it just, it, as these technologies, you know, get adopted, people need to stop thinking about current states and what is a future state where autonomy is really embracing, where we really do have buildings being built within months versus years. And we really do have the ability to go from one you know, side of town to another in a very fast and efficient way. Um, so that stimulates massive building, massive jobs and growth versus thinking about autonomy as like, let's take the current state of society and say, where do those robots go in and it replaces you know, jobs. So I, I think when I think of autonomy, I think about growth. I think about an explosion where you look at, you know, use an example of, of China. Like, think about how many cities, if you went and visited China 30 years ago, it was a, a, a marsh. And now it is a city larger than most cities in America, you know, all within 30 years. And that's because of manpower that, that you know, China had. But what if we could do the same now with uh, autonomous systems helping construction? And, and build. I mean, you know, construction is a $12 trillion industry, and yet the margin of that whole industry is 1% to 2%. And that's because it's just very difficult, very that's, efficient. Wow. That, that's, I never realized that there's that, that small of a margin on that. But obviously, you bring up some good points. And you know, from my background, you know, I worked you know, for a company that did a lot of research into a lot of different technology things. And you know, you speak of it being a net job creator, which follows everything that the research is, you know, you attach autonomy next to artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, you know, yeah. it is a net job creator, but to Drew's point, you know, everybody is afraid of change. And, you know, frankly, when the, the world that we live in today, you know, you say autonomous and robotics and life and everybody goes, okay, we're going to, we're going to think about, you know, self-driving cars, some of those things. And people forget about, you know, the Roomba vacuum or, yeah. You know, could there be, you know, an automated system that goes, you know, down the streets of Austin or the streets of Dallas, you know, after a Saturday night cleaning up after everybody, you know, like exactly. those are things where exactly. yeah. people don't look at it from, hey, this is actually going to help. But there are net job creators and, you know, mainly from, you know, the computer science piece that you talked about. Like to me, it also helps us as as a whole culture, you know, push the envelope of our collective intelligence and our collective skills. You know, our CEO loves to say that, you know, many, 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 many years ago, the the horse and buggy industry was a booming industry. And now, now look at where we are. <laughs> so, you know, to me, it's a lot of, I don't want to say autonomy gets a, a bad name because I don't think it does, but I think a lot of people have misconceptions of the ease of which it's already been you know, implemented into our lives or implemented into the factories to build the things yep. that we use on a daily basis. It's just when most people just hear autonomous, 
in a robotic system, they they automatically think of a self-driving car, self-driving planes from the Jetsons and stuff like yeah. that. When in reality, the the implementation is a lot quicker, a lot sooner, and honestly, a lot more practical for our day-to-day lives. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's a in yeah. The initial implementations are going to be ones that I think everybody's going to embrace, um, you know, fully. And I think the the car industry, uh, especially the you know, the, the Ubers and the, the Lyfts have done a horrible job communicating autonomy. I mean, they're, you know, they, they created a culture of people excited about driving and being a, a Uber and Lyft driver. And then when they go out all these shows, they talk about, hey, we're gonna, as fast as possible, replace those people. Um, it just, it's, it was the wrong message and it's the, the wrong problem that they were trying to solve. And really, when we talk about any form of autonomous or semi-autonomous, it, it has to be a net positive in societies that it's it's being engaged in. And, and um, I think the wrong narrative being, is being uh, magnified too much in industry. It's kind of like the, you know, it's the same thing that's happening with 5G. You know, the, the story being magnified about 5G is it allows you to download a Netflix video at two gigabits per second. I, I have not met a citizen anywhere yet that says, I wish I could download my videos faster when I'm walking around um, in the city. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely there. So, you know, from, you know, some of those, we mentioned the robot, you know, where do you see, you know, the, the first really larger scale implementations of, you know, the infrastructure that allows for it? And what are some of those, you know, that you see coming? Yes, yeah, so the, the first definition of what, what I believe, you know, if, if you look at all past um, major transitions that the United States has, has experienced or really other countries, you know, you think about um, locomotive required rails to be you know, laid down. And you think about the automotive industry without roads, um, you know, they didn't exist. Um, same thing with planes. A lot, a lot of people don't appreciate how much infrastructure is behind the FAA. The FAA has 50,000 people working for the FAA, and that's because they have this infrastructure called radars and transponders and low latency communications and antennas and ground-based GPS systems, space-based satellites, all those working in concert to give us a vibrant commercial aviation industry. When you look at, a, you know, whether it be an autonomous car, a rover, a drone, um, and you ask any governor or you know a state DOT leader what infrastructure they have in place, and the answer is net zero. I mean, there's there's nothing that's actually been built. We do not have that um, that build out occurring in the United States yet, outside of like little pockets for you know proof of concepts. And that's where I see this gigantic build out at the edge, and why I'm excited about companies like you know autos. Um, it's been validated. I mean, everybody understands that 5G has to go everywhere. The densification of 5G has to be up there. The densification of ITS, which is called Intelligent Transportation System Technology, those are radars and beacons and DSRC, have to be at the same density. And then there's all this excitement about how can we get compute at the sidewalk. Um, so the, the exciting thing to me was the realization that we knew from past companies what infrastructure had to go in. It was going to be bold. It was going to be expensive. But then the fact that we found out where those dollars already are in the bank ready to be spent. Um, and that's for the, the 5G, the ITS and Edge. And now what we're doing is, is saying, how can we you know, align the different you know, partners together and start building you know, those systems out and start testing, testing resilient systems? And it might be... It, it, in all honesty, we believe it's going to be small rovers, you know, delivering, you know, groceries or, you know, restaurant food, you know, to, to, you know, specific neighborhoods in, in different regions or drones performing specific tasks um, for public safety, emergency responders and inspections. Those are things that can be done um, in very near you know, time and um, have a lot of benefits into the communities that they'll be uh, deployed in. So, you know, Jeff, you mentioned the the concept of you know five G on the edge, you know, needing that compute and and connectivity 
everywhere, essentially, yeah. right? Um, what are some of the challenges, uh, you know, and obviously this is something that we address at, yeah. at DMG. What are those specific challenges to, to delivering that type of compute and, and infrastructure? Um, I imagine, and I, and I, and I want to get into this in a second, and maybe this is a good segue into the, the, the PIN three, you know, P3 program. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, the concept of having compute on the sidewalk um, is not something that, that people can easily wrap it's their not, brain around, natural. right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and and I think that some people, you know, Brad and I, you know, come from, you know, a, a traditional data center colo background. So people understand that from, a, okay, yeah. here's my compute, or they understand it, you know, we've got an IT closet in the basement or something like that. Yeah. I kind of understand what that looks like. And but from your perspective, how does compute on the edge to the to the 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 densities and the capacities that you need to really operate autonomy effectively, safely, and securely? Uh, what what does that look like, and what are some of those barriers that that you feel like the industry or us as a society in general have to hurdle? Well, that, that's a that's a lot of questions all built up. <laughs> I know. I apologize. <laughs> so, I'm usually the one who does that. <laughs> I know. So uh, I'll, I'll back up. So if, if you if you said, what's the barriers get um, all this technology deployed, whether it be the the five G, you know, you know, radio access networks and you know the the radars and the lidars and the the, the, the compute to process all this data. You know, two years ago, um, thinking about thermal management. It, it wasn't even topic that, that that's that was uh, you know, bygone conclusion that that's already been addressed. Uh, we had no idea until really the beginning of 2019 that that was the core issue. Um, how can you get uh, thermal management? So what we come back to the thermal management on, on why that became such a paramount item to be tackled and how it led us to to you through several of the partners that you guys have. But the the bigger is. The challenge, the, the concept of having, uh, you know, massive amounts of compute, let's just say, you know, you know $30,000 of FPGAs and high performance um, CPUs sitting on a sidewalk. Everybody thinks that's crazy. And that that's my indicator that that's what's going to happen. Because usually when you are so contrarian to the industry, you found what's going to happen. Because you know, I, I spent a lot of time with companies like the Vapor and MicroEdge and all the, the ones that were like I was excited about Edge. I was excited about what Edge was, and you know, spent you know almost you know over four years with with the companies that were building these um, micro data centers at the bottom of cell towers and things like that. But I kept on having the challenge of the sensors, the heavy compute that's required for our, you know, these devices at the street corner, whether it be the 5G, you know, RAN network doing beamforming or the, the radar that is actually giving situational awareness of that, that, you know, collective environment or the LIDAR that's actually giving you telemetry information. All that gear is actually at the street corner. So you either had to find some way to get massive amounts of data pushed over a fiber everywhere you went or you have to accept the fact that you already had real gear already installed. Like a lot of people don't understand ITS gear. If you start driving around a city and start looking at intersections, and I ask you to look for silver boxes, just start asking you know, yourself, hey, where are silver boxes when I drive around the city? You will discover there are tens of thousands of silver boxes all over our cities. That has massive amounts of compute, primarily old switch gear that's being now transitioned to, to x86 types of architectures. But that's the reality is that, that if the compute that were you in the traffic, you know, management, all those other systems were already there, why not just look at it of solving how can we get a huge level of compute at the same you know place and now start pulling all those technologies into a single instantiation and that's what led to you know the over 50 partners that were involved led to the uh, formation of what's called a public infrastructure network node 
which is a combination of how can you build a new asset class that houses not only the sensors for ITS and the 5G gear, but also can contain you know, 20 kilowatts of compute to allow all these exciting, sophisticated applications that we you know, love talking about for the last five years, the AR, the VR, the gaming, the ads, um, to, to start happening. Um, and um, our first instantiation of why that technology is there is to, to support intelligent cities and um, semi-autonomous applications, but then it, it pretty much opens the door for all those other exciting things we've been hearing about for, like I said, five to 10 years. Yeah, no, I, I you know, that's the exciting part for us, you know, from, from a, a compute standpoint, because I think what you guys are doing and, and what we're doing, obviously, dovetail brilliantly, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that as we... Start to educate and and really just expose people to the fact that you know, and this is one of the exciting things for us, you know, on 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 the Edge podcast is that everybody that we talk to has a different perspective, a definition of what Edge is, right? Um, you know, we'll talk. Yeah, exactly right. That's right. Yeah, for some it is, and yeah, then this, it, this even is some it, it's a step back further of. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my primary data center deployments are, you know, or, or their NFL cities and edge is I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a data center, you know, in, I don't know, Carlsbad, New Mexico, and that's edge for me, right. Or something like that. Um, is Carlsbad, New Mexico. Yeah, it is. All right. Sorry. My geography is awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, so it's, it's fun to have these conversations because as we continue to push what, what edge can be, you know, it, that, that definition is, is an ever evolving concept, right? Because as we start to develop these types of initiatives where, you know, where, where data is, is a ubiquitous concept and it's everywhere, right? Then what we can do with that data really is, is for me is, is a really exciting thing. And, you know, and Brad will tell you, you know, from, uh, from a, a, a new innovative technology standpoint, you know, I tend to be the old man screaming at kids to get off my lawn um, simply and not, not for sake of a, uh, you know, a, a disbelief in the technology. Um, I, I'm just old and stuck in my ways. And I, you know, I have, I'm, I'm a 90 year old soul stuck in a 36 year old's body. Um, but it's really exciting when you, when you start to be able to have those conversations of what if, you know, I, I love the, uh, you know, the, if I had a magic wand and I could make yeah. technology and life integrate and do whatever I want it to, what would I do? Right. And, and we, we're starting to close that gap, I believe with, yeah. with autonomous technologies, edge, you know, compute data center technologies, like, like auto and, and what we're doing at TMG core, that gap between what is possible and what I would love to be possible is getting a lot smaller. Uh, and that's a really cool thing to see, especially as we, you know, cultivate these types of partnerships um, and really just start pushing and thinking outside the box. And I think autonomous, you know, technology, to your point, really enables that type of imagination. It, it, it does. And um, so, you know, going the, the way I look at it is, is it's the industry kind of operates in waves because, I mean, if you, if you go back to, the early days of the internet, I remember having battles with, with CEOs and CIOs that their internet strategy was opening up ports on their mainframe. Um, so that was their strategy. So that was, and of course what happened is we went from mainframe to pushing a huge amount to client server on PCs. And then that moved to the, the web and cloud, you know, what, you know, it's kind of like all fused together, but let's just say it moved to cloud. Um, you know, cloud then dispersed into a lot more uh, about regional data centers. And then it moved to phone. You know, the phone became extremely powerful and had a lot of apps explode on it. And where that's kind of like the PC, like all the apps exploded on the PC and then kind of moved to the web. Then it exploded on the the mobile device, and now it's going to move to the edge. And when you put it that way, you think about 
every system, whether it be the, the electrical grid or the water or you know, telecommunications, it, it always disperses out in stronger and stronger branches. And it doesn't make sense that if edge is to exist, why would it be at just five data centers that happen to be in Austin? It, 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 it makes no logical reason because you're not going to be able to, to, to assess or basically support all of these incredible applications that we're talking about that really require low latency. And when you talk about autonomy, if a human does not get a response in you know, 100 milliseconds or 50 milliseconds or 20 milliseconds, um, we don't know any better. I mean, it's unless we're doing AR VR, but for machine to machine, if it if it's not at you know sub twenty milliseconds, it 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 can't process the magnitude of data required to make sure it's safe, reliable, you know, and and, and secure. So I, I think it's um, I would say that we wrestled with the the concept of having the pins dispersed across sidewalks, across cities and suburban you know areas. But now that we spent a lot of time with urban planners, um, U.S. government um, agencies, with the cities, with the municipalities, the states, um, agencies, the DOTs, it became it became crystal clear. That's exactly what's going to happen. In fact, um, the on the transportation side, they're already looking at how can they get what they call RSUs, roadside units, deployed at a greater density. Surprisingly, it's the same density as as 5G. Um, and when you look at marrying, once again, you marry these three things together, you not all, only solve for how can it be deployed at a faster clip, but also how the money gets shifted around to actually support a mass adoption of technology across the U.S. Oh, that's awesome. And you bring up some good points. And, you know, I have tons and tons of questions I just love to pick your brain on that I'm not going to roll through 50 of them. <laughs> um, but you know what also drew won't tell you is as much as he loves the the automation and the ai piece and it would be cool if it also scares him and and he will he, he refrained from saying that so i'm going to call him out and say that, that he's scared of that um but i'm not going to go from somebody i like to control things here. i like to you control know, things I, i'm not going to go from somebody who's scared per se um you know and obviously yeah. I think we're all in agreement, the world that we're in, you know, we want to push for these things. We want to do this. So, you know, we're all about the enablement of, of how do we implement technology and make life easier and all things that we've already talked about, but from yep. the, you know, kind of playing a little bit of a, of a devil's advocate from a, a skeptic perspective, you know, you have the folks who, who first saw electric cars, you know, not that that's autonomous, but electric cars went, well, I don't want to get an electric car because, you know, the, the battery only lasts 150, 200, 300 miles. Where am I going to charge the thing? And, you know, what if I have to drive between Austin and Kansas yep. City or whatever? And, you know, the answer is there's obviously ways and people have thought about that. Um, but from a, an autonomous system perspective, and I had read an article the other day where, you know, from the skeptic perspective, we're talking about urban areas and having radar and LIDAR and having compute on the sidewalks. Now, how do we answer the question or where are we going? Because I'm sure you've thought about it. You guys have had conversations about it. But once you get outside of that urban area, you know, for a potential autonomous system or robotic, you know, system to go beyond that, what is the next step there? How is that, in your opinion, going to be solved if, you know, say I want to take, you know, an automated drone and fly it out in the woods and just, you know, hook it with some artificial intelligence that I'm not smart enough to, to program myself, but you know, how would that be connected and how would that fall back is just, you know, kind of a bad example. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and yeah, so I, I think there's, um, that, that's the same challenge that 5G has um, and, and some of the other, you know, carriers about how can it get uh, spectrum in, in a lot of these disparate, you know, locations. Um, but it, it might be good for me to clarify too, where when you know we call it the autonomy institute. So I mean, the the the, the moonshot is is autonomy. But for the next decade, we're, we're not. I'm not a believer in level five autonomous cars. I, I just I, I think it's it's a fool's errand. And if you look at any of the data, it's it's clear that it's a fool's errand. I mean, you can't. The U.S. government's not even allow something truly autonomous where it's actually doing its own actions from one place to another into our society without 
infrastructure that it could be communicating to and collaborating. Um, when you start looking at it, you know, that way you realize that the, the, the next decade is about how can you leverage the level three autonomy or level, you know, three, you know, autonomous you know, systems as they exist today with infrastructure can allow repeated tasks and really robust activities to, to be commercially viable, but it's not, it's not artificial intelligence. It's not like the car is, is making all the decisions and determining the best path to get from one place to another. It's, it's basically, I just go back to, to a lot of people think that they're autonomous. I mean, the human being is very, is very, very programmed. Um, and, and people do not look at themselves that way, but every human outside of the, the spirit walkers over in you know, Tibet are very, they have very deep grooves of programming on how they operate their day-to-day -day activities. If we look at autonomy that way, then I think it's a lot, um, it's a lot more comforting to people to see it um, and embrace it and say, okay, and you know, then that way, it's not like we're, we're giving full control over something to, to you know, go off and do certain tasks. But going back to the point about you know, the rural remote locations, I mean, we're, we're now talking to several groups out of Washington, D.C. about how can this, this new infrastructure stimulate a, a $20 billion or $100 billion national build-out like we did with the interstate highway system. Because whatever country leads with getting this type of system, you know, because 5G, once again, is not about downloading videos faster. And it's not about getting Twitter feeds and social media to you faster. It's, it's about enabling many, many new industries that are not possible today because of the current network. And when you look at ITS technology rollout and the edge computing and what edge computing can do, then a national build out and being the first in the world to actually have these sophisticated systems out is going to have a massive impact on productivity um, in the nation. Massive. And um, we'll start seeing, you know, the, a lot of people have talked about the, 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 the year or the, the era of, of, you know, abundance. And that, that really requires far more facilitation than what we can do as, as humans. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you bring up a good point is, you know, people think autonomous driving is, is right around the corner. And I'm with you because, you know, you mentioned earlier the the latency just to be able to function. And I mean, I think we've all, you know, been in a spot where we're connected to the 5G and we're trying to load something on our phone and it just... Wait, 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 wait. You, you're, occasionally, you're connected well, to 5G? Sometimes, well, at least my, my phone says I am. <laughs> Whether or not I know I am, I have no idea. You know, but, you know, we all get the the buffering, the circle, you know, like, and I look at it from the standpoint of, you know, we can pretty much take our phones anywhere in the world and they work, you know, whether they work to the way that we yeah. want them to debatable, right? You know, we're, we're pretty instantaneous, you know, feedback yeah. society that we want. But I look at that from the standpoint, from I look at autonomous driving that you can't have a buffering, you know, like you, you can't have a car driving 50 miles down the road and all of a sudden go, Oh, signal lost for two seconds. We got a problem. You know, and so I look yeah. at it from that standpoint. And then yeah. you also mentioned the political piece, you know, and I'm curious because, you know, I haven't done a ton of research or followed a lot of politics into that particular piece, but I would have the feeling and, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's going to be a lot of legislation that has to be written and argued over and passed before we can come anywhere close to that being the autonomous systems that we see. Yeah, that's that's that 100. So I think um, you know we're 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 pushing the legislation that's going to allow um, commerce applications to be deployed within years. Um, but it's um, you, you would look at it and say, oh yeah, it's automated, um, but it would we won't qualify as autonomous. But the impact is is, is a lot of cases just as big. Um, but. I would say that state of Texas, as well as you know, many other states across the, the U.S. have been very, you, there's been a lot of good thought leaders and a lot of legislators that have supported great policy. I mean, like here in Texas, 
um, up in uh, the Dallas, your neck of the woods, you know, Senator Hancock is, has been a pioneer on supporting not only autonomous cars and trans, uh, transport trucks, uh, but also rovers. So um, you, there's a number of, of companies that are already you know, doing deliveries up in Dallas, deliveries down in Houston, deliveries down in San Antonio, um, UT Dallas. So all these are, are great indicators that there's, there's a willingness and, and, and support uh, for seeing how these can be embraced in the, the state of Texas. Um, but yeah, yeah there's, it, it's, it's gonna take time for any of these you know, wide scale um, you know, deployments. I'm curious from a standpoint of, you know, you mentioned that a lot of what you guys are working on is, the, you know, the commercial applications, right? How you, how you attach, you know, whether it's autonomous operations or autonomy or excuse me, automated yeah. operations yeah. versus autonomous, right? Uh, in a commercial setting. What do you feel like um, are the, or who, but might be a better ask, are, are some of the opponents to that? And, there, and I ask it in this context, right? We go back, step back to, you know, Brad brought up just electric cars in general, not autonomous driving, but just electric no. cars as, you know, the Teslas and, and those in the state of Texas alone. I, and I don't, I don't know if it was just political lobbying or if there was actually legislation drafted, but I know for a long time um, because of the heavy oil and gas presence that we have in the state and how no. that interacts into our economy, like you, like Tesla couldn't even sell cars in Texas for a long time. And I don't even know if they, I think they can now, but you had to buy them out of the state and ship them in. And they, they had Tesla had yeah, service no. centers in the state. Right. Um, but what, yeah, so, what are, yeah, sorry. I think you understand where I'm going. So I'll just shut up and let you talk because you're smarter than I, am. <laughs> no, no, I think, no, 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 that's, that's a great, a great question. And, and you're right. Um, I'd say that the, the biggest obstacle with, with, with Tesla was less the oil and gas industry. It was, it was more the dealership and, and the, 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 the blue laws around, the, the operation of the dealerships and okay. there, there's there's reason for it um so i mean it, it, as much as you know i'd love to see that oh it, you know we don't have issues you know like that and anybody can open up shop and start selling um it, there's good and bad for everything so the dealership structure was was built where the economics stayed in the state or or continued to impact the state so in the, in the case of buying an electric car if it's if you buy it out of you know California from Tesla, um, all that money goes there. There is no dealer that's actually you know taking a cut, which which you, you and us, uh, you, you and I, and all of us as, as consumers, that's great. We we cut out the middleman, but what we also cut out is our economic tax base for that commerce to take place. So it's it's not it's not as simple black and white, but I'd say that Tesla has held up far more about those laws than about oil and gas. And just to let you know that we're knock on wood. I mean, we're the state of Texas is led, of course, with oil and gas. Um, the nation. I mean, in fact, this last boom of production of oil um, was like no other. Not even what Saudi Saudi Arabia could replicate on what we're able to do as a state. Um, so I think that's, that's always been a strength that we've had, but a lot of people don't realize we also have the largest, I think still the largest solar and the largest wind. So, uh, when we look at the state of Texas, it is better to look at it as, as sort of the state of energy, not, not, um, oil and gas. And that's why once again, knock on wood, we're, we're hoping that, that Tesla chooses the next, you know, or the, the first Terra factory. Uh, to be built here in in, in Texas, um, because now that we can become a leader uh, once again in the, the resilient power, the the energy grid for you know lithium, you know batteries, and uh, hopefully the, uh, the the cyber truck as well. But um, I think the you, know, you, you kind of mentioned the, the obstacles and stuff like that. Um, the the greatest obstacle to this infrastructure and pushing edge um, really came from the autonomous systems themselves. Um, so a lot of people don't know the history of all these autonomous you know, car companies are pretty much all seeded off of what DARPA did, I think it was back in 2006, with the grand challenge. Like, hey, let's, let's get universities together and the industry together and see how close are we to be able to get a car to drive across you know, a desert. And the, the, the first, 
the, the first results were not good, um, but but by the the second and, and you know, the ongoing challenges continued to improve. But when that seed, that kernel was planted, it was planted on all the sensors were in the vehicle. And that's propagated down where everybody's trying to solve for strapping on every single sensor under the sun to take care of all these different edge cases. Um, and that's led still to, you, know, you can go on, on YouTube and do a search for all edge cases for, for autonomy. And there are so many edge cases that cannot be solved by the car or by the shuttle. So I, I think the, um, the, the objections you know, three years ago was the entire industry was fighting against having to depend on any infrastructure because they wanted to have, to, to your point, Drew, total control. <laughs> they wanted to control everything. Um, right. But, but uh, it's, it's, now, it is, it's now cast to, you know, the momentum is now built up on the infrastructure side. Like, okay, how can we speed the adoption of this infrastructure? And the way to think about it from a, a autonomous car or a truck is think about all that incredible intelligence, those supercomputers that are in the cars and vans and, and trucks today, that's going to be at the pin. So, so it's not, it's not like it's taking it out of the car. It's going to be in the car as well to keep the resilience, the safety, all the risk factors and stuff like that. The car st still needs to have that additional insight so it can take care of itself. But now it's going to be fed back all the information from this network of pins that gives them the non-cooperative traffic that they can't see and the non-cooperative activities that are happening inside the city that the car itself would not have visibility to. If that makes no, sense. Yeah, no, that, that does make sense. And, and one of, you kind of hit on it um, a little bit. And I, I think one of, if I'm looking at it from my perspective and I, and I think, you know, my foil hat friends would, would probably share in it, it the security piece to autonomous and, and, and automated, you know, operations. Yeah. It, it's, it's massive. Because I think the fear that a lot of people have is that, okay, we're going to have all these, you know, autonomous operations, whether it's, you know, rovers delivering food or trucks or drones yeah. or whatnot, and it gets hacked. And someone that, you know, a, a, you know, a bad operator, a nefarious player, and you know, now has control over these things and, and, you know, to do with whatever it is that they intend to do with them. So from your perspective, how, how is security being addressed? I, I'd, I'd be curious, both kind of at a macro level, but specifically in the projects that you're the, the pin project and some of the other things that you guys are involved in. Um, how are you addressing security in that? Great, great question. Um, and and the security you are 100%. It is huge, and it's a gigantic focus of, of what we're doing. Um, so much so that, um, in fact, after this, this video, I'd, I'd suggest you go watch a video that's on YouTube from a, a gentleman named uh, General Rob Spaulding. Um, so he was with the, the Air Force, and then, um, you know, it's now for the last pretty much five years been focused on the, the ramifications. Um, the, there's huge benefits of 5G, but there are substantial ramifications to security that up till about three years ago, people were not paying attention to. Now he is well down the path and we're pretty much working with him almost on a daily basis now on how do we um, assure the resilience and the security, the privacy, the encryption of these new systems that are being deployed. Um, but I'd say that the, the, the depth of, of you know, technical players that are involved with that are unbelievably impressive. And I, I'm very confident. I mean, just to let you know that this this was a a massive feat in itself um, from the the SIM card up. How um, we were able to get the U.S. government to even support us to have wireless communication, you know, back in the, the '80s. Um, so I think there's a, a lot of standards that have been developed, a lot of research on the security side, and it's going to have to be leveled up even again um, now that we're talking about these these autonomous systems, but. People need to realize that I, 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 what semi-autonomous or automated systems are all around them all the time. I mean, you know, nobody even questions the hysteria that, that existed when people took the 
elevator operator out of the elevator. I mean, that was, that was a shocking feat that's, that, that happened. And now, how many elevators have you gone into that you, you can't even touch a dang button now? I mean, it's just like you, you basically say where you're going and the elevator takes care of it. And um, those systems needed the same level of security and resilience built into it to assure that those things weren't, weren't hacked and uh, overtaken. Yeah, no, that's, uh, you know, and when you say that, I, and I'm just kind of trying to rack my brain into thinking through, but you're right. I mean, we're, we're surrounded by whether it's automated or autonomous systems constantly, and we just don't know awesome. about it because they've been integrated in a way, to your point, that, that's, that's beneficial. It improves people's lives in a non-threatening way. Like, you know, the, the elevator example, I, you know, I didn't even think about the elevators being an automated system, but it is, you know, even, even if it's an old elevator and I'm pushing a button, right. There's an automation that goes, Oh, he pushed floor 11. Okay. We're going to move this thing to 11 and we might stop at floor seven because there's somebody on seven that needs to go up and that's all automated process. And I don't think about that as threatening, you know, I, I mean, it is what it is. It's just part of everyday life, you know? And how many people would like to have a, a, a system that automatically mows the lawn and you know, cleans the yard and, and constantly keeps our streets? Imagine systems that went out every single night and just polished the, our, our streets and sidewalks to an amazing degree and you know, cleaned up debris. There, there's so many things that autonomous systems can do as a net additive benefit to society, not a reduction of, of in employee base. And that's, that's where, you know, we're focusing our efforts on, on what can we do as a net positive to really, you know, start making cities pristine and, and really, uh, you know, just elevate um, how quickly can, things can be constructed and fixed and replaced and modified. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, that, that also, you know, hits for me of, you know, you look at obviously us being in the state of Texas, we're, we're in a nice, you know, nice natural disaster zone with tornadoes, hurricanes, all those fun things. But, you know, what would the cleanup look like? What would the rescue operations look like if we, if we could deploy, you know, some things that are fully autonomous and, you know, that's definitely a huge help and, you know, how many lives could be saved and, you know, how many buildings could, could we get the economy back up and rolling? I mean, you look at some parts of Houston, some parts of New Orleans, they're still struggling from hurricanes that have happened years ago. Um, you know, so I look at it from that perspective and that's a, that's a fascinating point that, you know, just kind of gets gears turning in the right way, um, for sure. And, you know, I, I kind of want to circle back a little bit of, you know, you mentioned the, the silver boxes, you know, driving around the city in the silver boxes. And we mentioned having compute on, on the sidewalk and, you know, we all have the people who, who love the sidewalks that look a certain way and, you know, get mad if, you know, somebody puts a sign that's too big out for a McDonald's, right? So, you know, from from the compute that we're we're looking at needing to put on the sidewalk, what does it actually visually look like in in your ideal world or where are we starting and what are we trying to get to? You know, obviously the smaller that we can get it, the better it is. But you know, all of us in the technology world and the hardware side know that so far processors are a certain size and chips are a certain size. And while they're trying to make them smaller and more powerful, you know, they still take up a decent amount of space for the amount of compute that we're going to need. Yeah, so, um, so that, that, was, that was a challenge in our thinking, you know, several years back. It's like, is this even possible to have some infrastructure deployed? And then we started driving around and started, you know, going around in, in Google Earth and zooming in on the city, you know, blocks and stuff like that. And we are so programmed to ignore stuff that until you are asking the question, what's there already, that you don't even realize how much is already deployed. And what's um, where it became clearly that this was going to happen is when we started seeing the 5G, single carrier 5G deployments, where it's a, a, a single carrier, big base cabinet, mast, and the antennas for them. And they were just unbelievably ugly. And um, it only had one vendor. And now that was what led to two of these discussions with the cities where it was basically a tsunami of crap 
or what they call blights coming into the city because we have to have that density for 5G. We have to have that density for ITS. You have to have that, that technology at the edge. But what became clear is if we unify that into a single architecture, number one, we clean up the city blocks and we have a net additive on what technology is there. So um, I think the, the first instantiation of the pins are gonna be independent. They're gonna be deployed independent of those other systems. Um, but it's clear in discussion with urban planning um, and other city leadership being involved that it'll, it'll collapse many of those other technologies into you know, those, the, those pins um, as, as it gets validated and um, people start to embrace it. And when it, when it comes to aesthetics, aesthetics is number one, is we're, we, we look at it as aesthetics have to be the, the key focus because if we really, like City of Austin has 1500 locations that they're looking at a pin being deployed, that has to be really embraced um, by the community and by all the technology providers that, that want to be deployed. But if, we, if you think about the pin, think of it as a 19 inch rack. The 19 inch rack comes in all kinds of um, you know, flavors and colors and, and stuff like that. And even you know, some, you know, some put a whole bunch of enclosures around the 19 inch rack. Um, we kind of view that the pin is, is the, the, the skeleton and then how that looks outside um, will look very different in New York versus New Orleans versus Austin. And that's the flexibility they have when we unify the, this, this architecture. Also, I, to me, it's also fascinating because, you know, as Drew mentioned, we, we live in, you know, or have a background from a cola world. So, you know, people complain about the amount of space and the amount of power that, that data centers take up. But yet, you know, I know right down the road from my house, yeah. Facebook has a huge one, but 99% of the people that I know have yeah. no idea that they're driving by a Facebook data center. So to me, it, it's yeah. fun to think about, you know, from a, a future perspective of walking down a neighborhood block and seeing something that, you know, to your point, you may not even register, but actually knowing what's going on inside of it to me is fascinating. We're, we're hoping that the pin becomes something that, that, you know, it, well, from what we've already heard from the, the 19 cities we're working with is they want to be the first to get these. It's just, they, they want it, um, they see it as a unifying way for them to take control over how this technology is brought in, but also how it actually allows that technology to start impacting and benefiting their citizens before other cities. Um, but you know, going back, if you went back to the 1920s and 30s, when you know, a lot of traffic control was still done with you know, flashlights and the guy standing in the middle of the road, um, when traffic signals started popping up, um, there was initial knee-jerk reaction, but then an embracing because it, it basically met a critical need. And if we're able to now show that the, the pin meets three, four, five critical needs of the city, then, then it's, it's easy to embrace it because um, it, you know, the city will have far more control Absolutely. over how this happens. I agree. Yeah, which you kind of hit on a little bit. I'm I'm curious what your thought on the implementation of 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 the pin technology and then then all of the autonomous behind it. Do you feel like it's going to be, you know, Austin adopts it and, and kind of proves out as a test case, and then it's just an explosion across multiple cities across the country, the world, or do you feel like this is going to be more of a domino thing that? One city takes it down, then another, and a couple. And you know, what's your vision or or, or your prediction, I guess, for for how this type of technology and systems, because it really is a holistic infrastructure system. Uh, how, how do you see the adoption yeah. of of it across, you know, local, more national, and even maybe global? Yeah, and and um, so. By, by establishing the, the, the standards um, and the conversations we've had with, with you know, city, state, and federal you know, you know, leaders and the industries, um, you know, partners, it's clear that once it's proven out, once the validation of how this works and how we you know, deal with things like thermal management and power management and all that, um, I, I think it's going to be an unbelievable explosion. I think it's going to be at a massive magnitude um, of impact. Primarily not because of just the concept of the pin, it's because 
there are already tens of thousands of applications going everywhere trying to get 5G deployed. And there's already massive you know, deals going through for ITS to get deployed. And then, of course, the edge compute guys, you know, the, the, the Amazons and Googles and, and um, Microsofts are looking at how can they get, you know, they're, they're, still, they're still in that quandary, like what is really edge to us? You know, and, you know, a, a lot of them are already embraced, like, um, you know, Amazon and Azure, they're already built individual units that are going to customer sites um, to, to deploy. And I, I think that's a portion of edge. And I, I validate that, but when we're talking about intermingling of, of city services, intelligent and autonomous cities, that doesn't land at a building. It doesn't land at an office complex. It, it lands at the city's easement. And that's where um, we believe once it's proven, um, I, I think there's going to be a, an explosion of, of construction in every single state. All these companies that have been specializing in, in 5G deployment are all suddenly going to be overwhelmed with work and have to hire like mad to, to keep up with uh, the deployments. And that's why it's, we spent a lot of time understanding what tractors, what trucks, what, what, what investigation technology, like even ground penetrating radar to, to quickly assess where the pin would be placed, how the vault would be put in, how the pins would be you know, installed by a single truck showing up at site versus multiple trucks. And that process would be cookie cut to all these different, um, you know, industry partners um, in all these different states. Uh, that's, that's awesome. That's really exciting. I mean, it, you know, to Brad's point, there's a million things I think we could we could talk about and and where you know where my brain is, and that's a terrifying place. But uh, are there things that actually like like to, to that terrifying place? So I just want to like use an example. So. So you talk about like Houston getting hit by the flood, you know, by the hurricane um, and the, the flood and stuff like that. So a lot of people don't know that the state of Texas is kind of like the world leader when it comes to emergency response. Um, and so Chief Nim Kidd, which leads that group, uh, was put in charge, you know, by you know, Governor Abbott. And it was in 2017 that we started developing a relationship at the previous company with all the public you know, safety you know, um, institutions and agencies. And that was because they used small drones to go assess a lot of situations that were damaged during the hurricanes. Fast forward to just the last you know, you know, year and a half, they now see so much value in, in drones and rovers being deployed in these disaster situations that they're trying to find out how can we have 50 drones, 500 drones, 5,000 drones deployed in these emergency situations to find the people that are on the rooftop or find the disastrous locations or find the, the chemical you know, um, barrels that have to be you know, you know, captured you know, because of the, the contamination. There's, there's so many scenarios that, that have to be addressed in an emergency situation. And right now, they're, they're, they're driving in cars and trying to get around on boats and flying you know, manned helicopters, um, which, which is very limiting on how much data they can collect in a certain amount of time. If you arm them with all of a sudden the data being flooded in from all these, these active mobile sensors flying everywhere and giving them a, a clear picture of situational awareness, it allows them to rescue people faster. It allows them to get containment around you know, disaster situations faster. It allows them to make better and faster assessments. And um, that's, that's highly impactful to everybody. I don't think there's a single person that's going to argue with that application of autonomy um, or semi-autonomous. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's just, yeah, I, I think I saw, I don't know if it was a, a YouTube thing or something, but where they were using that, you know, they were, using, uh, I think it was infrared, you know, or some sort of a heat signature technology where they were flying drones yep. in, uh, like it was an earthquake, uh, if, uh, you know, uh, where buildings had collapsed and they were able to find people faster and, and, and get in there and, and rescue people and save lives. So absolutely. You know, and, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, my, my brain is, there's all kinds of places, you know, where, where, where we could go. I, I, I'm curious, are there things that, that are, are of interest to you that, that, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, 
automated or, or autonomous technology that, that we haven't covered that you feel like are important for, for our listeners to know just from an education standpoint in terms of what's going on and, and how they can you know, get involved, support, promote autonomous technology? Well, I think just just the education of that the, that uh, uh, autonomy is not about autonomous cars and trucks, which is I think what what most people think about. Um, I think the once again going back to the room of vacuum. Twenty years ago, people would have not have thought of a, a, a vacuum cleaner being the first autonomous robot, you know, s- scaled out. And today, it, it's not the autonomous car. It's it's not the autonomous truck. It's it's other you know systems that are used in agricultural fields or, you know, gives us the security over our electrical grid or um, inspects our roadways and bridges and ports and dams. It's things that are a, a net additive. And it just, I just incentivize for people to, to investigate a little bit more and, and definitely don't have a fear towards autonomy or a concern that's going to, you know, um, replace jobs because there, there hasn't been a single scenario that I've seen that's, you know, for every job, you know, potentially replaced, there, there's another five created. Um, so I'm, I'm very, very confident that this industry is going to be massive. It's going to be um, as big as the internet game itself. Um, and it, it's, it's going to be magical because it's, it's, it's going to allow us to see things physically done around us. Um, and um, it will speed the adoption of, like I said, construction or how our cities look and how they're maintained. Um, and just the resiliency of our cities will become you know, far more, you know, far more yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and so, Jeff, if our listeners are, are wanting to contact you, get involved with, you know, what you guys are doing um, you know, at the Autonomy Institute or, or at Atrius, how is a, a good way for them to, to contact you and, and get involved in what you're doing? Um, yeah, just visit, um, you know, on, you know, like us on the, 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 the LinkedIn sites, um, the autonomy suit shows up there. Um, I'm, I'm more than happy to hear from anybody. I'm at Jeff at autonomy.institute. Um, but I, you can learn a lot online. Um, but anybody that has a passion or interest in this edge infrastructure and autonomy or just supporting these big initiatives um, with the cities and states, uh, please reach out. Um, we're, we're looking for the passionate leaders all over the place. That's awesome. And, you know, Jeff, I, I can speak for, for Drew and I and, and our listeners and everybody at TMG Core to say thank you for your time. It's been a, a fascinating conversation. And, you know, for me, it's one of those, you know, specifically, you know, I, I don't know as much, obviously, as you do, but getting the wheels turning and, you know, actually, you know, showing me and showing us that, you know, some of those things are, are already there, you know, like nobody's ever thought of the, the robot vacuum. So, you know, I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on with us. And, you know, I for sure am going to look in some of these videos. I've made some notes and, you know, for me, I love, love looking into it, but, you know, I'm definitely going to follow you closely and I'm pretty sure I can speak for Drew and, you know, the rest of us at Team Drew but thank you for your time. And I truly appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, Drew and Brad, I really appreciate the time. And by all means, reach out and ask any questions or anything else. Perfect. Thanks, Jeff. Well, that's going to do it for us here today on The Edge at TMG Core Production. Don't forget to subscribe anywhere you pick up your favorite podcast and leave us a five-star review there. You can also find us at www.theedgetmgcore.com. So thanks so much. We'll catch you next time. And remember, The Edge will go as far as you take it. Thanks, Jeff.